this morning we get the privilege to hear from one of our elders, Mr. Tyler Redden. We've been talking about uh, the Word of God and the Scripture, and so would you please welcome Tyler to the front this morning? Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, I want to just um, jump on the end of that announcement. Uh, we were up there for the junior high retreat, and you guys, we, we did like a Q&A thing, and I told the group there that uh, if I didn't know the, the average age of a junior higher, I was, both Leslie and I were so impressed with your kids, because the, the questions they were asking uh, were not indicative of all uh, junior high questions, and they... Uh, I just said, we're just going to get some of these questions wrong. So set your expectations really low. So hopefully they didn't come home going, okay, what's the right way to handle a snake? Because Tyler said it's this way. That's a joke. We don't handle snakes anymore. Stop doing that. All right. Well, who's ready for some good news this morning? Yes. Uh, We have been, like JR said, we've been in a series since the beginning of the year talking about the Word of God, talking about the Bible, uh, its importance, its context, its history. And so this morning, um, I want to share some good news. I I ran across an article this week that I found super encouraging. Um, An organization did some research, and I'll I'll tell you later who the organization was because it's going to give it away. Uh, but they did a really fascinating study. They uh, they surveyed two hundred thousand people across twenty different countries, and the data they found they called the power of four. So they found that people who um, let me see if I have this. Here we go. They found that people who blank who do a certain activity report these differences. These people who do blank are 228 times percent more likely to share their faith. They're 60 percent times less likely to feel spiritually stagnant, 59 percent time less likely to be pornography, 30 percent time less likely to struggle with loneliness, and 31 percent times less likely to struggle with forgiving others. What do you think that blank is? That's like cheating because we've been in a series talking about the Bible. I thought I'd get more delay than that. So yes, um, the organization was uh, the Center for Bible Engagement and BiblicalLeadership.com, and they found that somebody who engages the Bible four or more days a week report these differences. I found this super fascinating because this is science and this is data. If I were to just go out downtown Helena and, and gather a group and say, who, hey, who wants to struggle with loneliness more, less? And who wants to maybe be better at forgiving others? You would expect some hands to go up, Right? Well, this data supports that. It says if you engage the Bible four or more times a week, you can look forward to these differences. So what I wanted to do this morning before we kind of dive into the the subject is um, I wanted to give you a couple resources because I'm I'm always looking out there to see like how I can just make my time better. And so um, what I what I do is well, let me, let me show you a couple of these resources. Uh, what I do is I, I spend my time in the morning. Um, I read a, a paper Bible because it's just too early for electronics that early, can we be honest? Uh, and so what I've done, though, this year is I found this cool podcast. And what it is, it's called the Bible Recap. And what I love about this is this uh, Tara Lee Cobble, she's a, a teacher, a speaker, a musician. What she does is she gives you a reading plan that's a couple chapters a day. It's nothing like, you know, you don't have to cancel your day job to do this. And um, so you will read a couple chapters a day, which I do in the morning. And then on my drive to work, I listen to the podcast. 
And she, man, she is such a gifted teacher because we just finished Leviticus uh, this past week. And I will tell you, um, classically, I'm just kind of like, it's like eating broccoli. I just kind of got to get through it. And this time, it has been so interesting, so interesting. I mean, she's talked about the three different kinds of laws and um, how they apply today and how they don't apply today and context and figured out where the word scapegoat came from. That's fascinating. Um, so what I would encourage you to do, if this sounds interesting, uh, that's, it's out there in all the podcatchers, but it's also that uh, website, thebiblerecap.com. We're starting numbers. We, it's like I have anything to do with it. Uh, we're starting numbers on Monday, so it's not too late to get, you know, get on the train if you're interested in that. That's been super helpful for me. The other thing that's been really helpful, the junior high heard about this for different reasons uh, over the weekend, but uh, I use an app called Streaks, and this is super fascinating from a, a psychology standpoint. All this app does, it doesn't do anything super great. It just keeps track of what you do or what you don't want to do. And so if you have a habit you want to keep up doing, you just push a button every day that you do it. If you have a habit that you want to break, you push a button for every day that you didn't do it. And so it's, it's been really fascinating. Like one of, the, uh, one of the habits that I'll feel comfortable sharing with you is that I've been, I've been really trying to get better at, at taking my, like, my multivitamin during the day. And I just, whatever, I just don't do it. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. So there's this little button on my phone that every day you do it, it builds up a little star and it has a little number. So, so far, I'm up to 51. And so my phone gives me a notification when I do this. And come hell or high water, I will be taking that vitamin every single day because I'm not breaking that streak, okay? There's other streaks that I have broken that the junior high heard about over the weekend. They're like, really? You you have a problem doing it? I'm like, yes, we're all human. But I highly recommend streaks. So here's a couple cool resources. So today... uh, we're going to continue talking about the Word, and today I want to, I want to talk about something that I, I really, really honestly believe this has the potential to build your faith, because today I want to talk about the topic of healing. And so let's just, let's just start with a question. Um, how many of you believe that God has the power to touch a sick body and make it well? And let me, let me even get more specific. How many of you believe that we, as believers, have the power to pray for someone and that God would heal that person. So um, I, I completely believe that he does. You know, it's no secret that the Bible is full, full of miracles of healing. Uh, in the New Testament alone, there are at least 30 different miracles where Jesus healed people of physical uh, sickness in their body. And then if you just look in the New Testament, if you look at the implied healings of stories that weren't directly mentioned of there's, you know, a blind man or something. Uh, If you look at the stories where healing is implied, hundreds and hundreds more. Uh, Jesus, I mean, the the stories that we do have, he opened blind eyes, he healed the deaf, he made the lame to walk. I mean, Jesus literally healed somebody of death in the Bible. So let's just, I want to start this conversation. I want to look at some instances of healing and anytime you talk about healing, this, this is one of my favorite stories of healing. I don't know why it's one of my favorites, because it's actually kind of funny. Um, if you look in the book of Acts, there, there was a time when Paul was, was preaching, he was speaking, and so <laughs> this, is, this is a funny story that I'm sure some of you heard before. I don't know why I'm laughing about this, but anyway, you'll see. So uh, a guy named Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke recorded that Paul was up there speaking, and he was, he was going a little bit long, okay? He was speaking well into midnight. So here's another question. Um, 
How many of you, ever, how many of you have ever been bored in the middle of a sermon? Is that the most awkward question for me to ask? <laughs> Is he asking me if I'm bored right now? Okay, well, whatever. I can take it. Uh, Paul, Paul was speaking, and he went on and on and on. So we're going to pick it up in Acts 20. And a certain young man named Eutychus, seated by the window, was seeking, sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. It was close to midnight. When he was sound asleep, he fell from the third story and was picked up dead. This is in the Bible. This is the first official time that somebody was killed by a sermon. And so, fortunately, the story doesn't end there. The story continues. Uh, But Paul went down. He threw himself on the young man and embraced him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's still alive. Okay, so Paul's speaking. This guy's sitting on the seat of a window. Falls. Dies. And Paul says, it's okay, and he, he, he throws himself on the guy. He says, don't worry, he's fine. He was dead, but now he's fine. If you continue on in that story, <laughs> this is the funny part. If you continue on in that story, Paul went upstairs. Acts says he broke bread and he ate. And then he continued speaking until daybreak. He finished his sermon all into the night. So this was all in a day's work. I mean, like, did anybody else be like, that guy was dead, and now he's alive, and you're still talking? Like, I found it funny. Uh, But the Bible is full of miraculous stories like this one. So, you guys, I I honestly so much believe that God has the power to heal. We see story after story of Jesus healing. And the good news is, for today, what what does Jesus say in John's gospel? It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even, what? Greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. And he says, he also says that uh, with God, all things are possible, because now to him who is able to do immeasurably, what's that word? More, that all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. At Mount Helena Community Church, we believe in a God who does miracles. We depend on a God who does miracles. Yet, There are times that, um, let's say it like this, there are times that what we know doesn't line up with what we see, right? So I think it's safe to say with a group this large, and if you're listening online, um, you might be in the middle of some circumstances today that that you're, you're crying out to God for healing. And you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you're asking, where is God? And you, you honestly might be in this place that you're saying, um, God, I, I know you can, but why does my son still have this sickness? And God, I believe that you could heal, but why does my daughter still face depression? And God, we, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, but yet grandma still died of cancer. It's in that space that we have to be really careful because a lot of people would conclude then that evidently God is either not real or he's not good or he can't heal, or most dangerously, he doesn't care. So then my question this morning is this. How do we go before God, and how do we pray if we believe that he can heal, and we see that he has healed, but he doesn't always heal? I want to talk about that today in a, in a way that I hope is going to be encouraging and is going to answer 
some of those questions because we need to talk about a God who absolutely hears our prayers and does miracles today. But before we go any further, I want to get us all on the same page because I'm going to be talking um, from a foundation that I want us all to be, um, like I said, on the same page. Whether or not you believe this, I'm going to operate from this premise, and it's super important. So our, our key thought today is this. Our God does heal, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. So that's our key thought today. Our God does heal, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. This is a simple thought, I said, but it's, it's so hard to comprehend. At least it is for me because um, we've, I think I have myself been in that spot where uh, I've, I've prayed for somebody and I didn't see healing. You know, I think of uh, one of the most vivid memories I have is when my mom in 2007, when she wasn't doing well, my mom was just over 50 years old and uh, she was on oxygen and all those things and the doctor told her that she had lungs of a 110-year-old woman. And I remember, just even back then, I remember thinking like, God, you can heal this. I know it. I know it. And I just, I believed it with every part of my being. I know you can heal. And I prayed that way. I prayed, God, heal my mom's lungs. Heal my mom's lungs. And it, the healing didn't happen, at least the way I thought of it. She doesn't, you know, she passed away in 07, so she's not dealing with those lungs anymore. Uh, the way I was asking for healing is that it would be here on earth. And so the interesting thing is when we look at our, our lives today and our lives now, we always think, well, I shouldn't make generalizations. I always think that people in the Bible were just so much different than us because they, they didn't live our lives. And what we find in the Bible, and I think we, we say this from the front a lot, is the people in the Bible were pretty similar to us. You know, they, uh, they were dealing with some different cultural things, but you guys, they were, they were normal people. And as I've been going on a journey about this, just researching all this healing stuff, uh, the same stuff that we ask God about healing, same stuff they ask God about healing. And I want to show you um, three quick examples of when God didn't heal somebody. And it doesn't even say ex- reasons, but these are, these are guys who followed Jesus. And these are just super interesting. So uh, Trophimus, Timothy, and Paul. Who's ever heard the name Trophimus before? Yeah, so Trophimus doesn't, he doesn't have a book named after him or anything. He was, he was a friend of Paul's. He went on uh, the third missionary journey with Paul. And this is, this is pretty interesting. There's two lines about Trophimus in Scripture. This is one of them. In Trophimus, this is Paul writing, in Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. That's all it says. Situation where God could have healed him, but he didn't. In Troph- Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. Timothy a little bit more well-known. I think we've all heard of Timothy. He does have a book named after him. Paul was writing to him as well, and he says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. How many people want that prescription? (laughs) Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Timothy had this stomach issue that God could have healed, but he didn't. And then Paul, um, for those of you who haven't heard of Paul, Paul is the guy who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament, and Paul gets his own screen. So to keep me from being coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Now, we don't actually know what um, for sure Paul was referring to. Scholars have guessed that it was anything from 
bad eyesight to some sort of temptation, um, all sorts of different things. So we don't actually know what this thorn in the flesh was, but we do know that Paul pleaded with God three times. Some translations say begged. Um, The word in that original language means an ongoing, persistent pursuit. That's what it literally means. So three times, three ongoing, passionate times of begging God to take this away, and God says no. God says that my grace is going to be sufficient for you. Our God can absolutely heal. He often does. But my question, one of my questions this morning is, what do we do then when we know God can heal, but he doesn't always? And at the same time, if we think about it proactively, how do we let our faith grow to continue to ask him for miracles of healing? Now, this might seem counterintuitive, but there's, I, th- I hope that there's a lot of encouragement in it because what I want to do is I want to look at three times in the New Testament where Jesus healed. No, I want to look at three times in the New Testament where Jesus did not do a miracle because the reason that he didn't do a miracle is super interesting to me. So the first one I want to look at is, number one, Jesus refused to perform a miracle to prove himself, okay? We see this in Mark chapter 8. So, uh, Mark says that a, a large crowd gathered and they had nothing to eat, all right? And you guys, oh man, this message is so exciting to me because of all these details. Jesus looks at the crowd, and I love this word, Enneagram 2 stuff coming up right here. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus looks on the crowd and he has compassion on them, okay? So the disciples come up and say, hey, we have all these people coming up. Later on in the Bible and other books, it says there's about 4,000 people. 4,000 people, and we don't have anything to eat for them. And Enneagram 2, compassion, I, I, I just couldn't deal with that. And so he says, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. He takes seven loaves and a few small fish, miracle, everybody eats. I don't know how you'd eat in your house, but for 4,000 people, if they're coming over at my house, well, that's like the whole neighborhood, but seven loaves and a few small fish ain't going to do it. So he performed this miracle right? So you have to know, 4,000 people have to have been talking about this. They, they, there's this little buzz going around because, you know, bread and fish are everywhere. Well, what's interesting is right after that, uh, Mark says that they went on to the region of Dalmanatha. Everybody say, did I put that on my? Dalmanatha. Everybody say Dalmanatha. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun one. So watch this. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. So right after this miracle of bread and fish, to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, okay, I have to stop right here because another funny part. Uh, It's been brought to my attention recently that when I get stressed out, I sigh. (laughs) And so (laughs) I don't know when I picked it up, but it's just like this reflex that I'll just... (sighs) And, like, there's two things that my wife continually tells me. You're snoring and you're sighing. So there's, if there's an ear, nose, and throat doctor, we can talk afterwards. There's probably something screwed up in that. But I love this detail that the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, hey, we, we want a sign. Maybe they heard about the bread. Maybe they didn't. doesn't say. But it says, we want a sign. He sighed deeply, love it, and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Strong words. Then he left them. He got back into the boat and he crossed to the other side. Like today, that would be a mic drop. I'm leaving. 
You guys, put this in context for a second. One minute. Bread and fish were coming from everywhere. Jesus performed this awesome miracle for 4,000 people because he had compassion on the people. The people were without miracle. Some religious leader of the day comes up and says, well, we want a sign too. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing it. And he left. Second time, Jesus didn't do a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. This is so important. He never performed a miracle that interfered with God's plan. So I want to show you this story. Um, Because in this story, it's similar to this story. In this story, you're going to see Jesus do a miracle. And then you're going to see Jesus withhold a miracle in the same story. So uh, I call this story, Lend Me an Ear. Uh, Everybody's like, what? So in all four Gospels, we see the story of Jesus' last days. And this particular part of the story involves Jesus and Judas. So we're coming upon Jesus' final days, and Judas decides that he's going to betray Jesus. So he goes to the Roman authorities, and he's saying, listen, I know where he's going to be. I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to give him a kiss on the cheek so you know who he is, and you can arrest him. Interesting side note, Jesus had just done the triumphal entry. So it's just kind of funny to me that they would have had to, like, use a signal to know who Jesus was. I need to research that. That's, that's funny to me. But anyway, so Judas, they're, they're in this space and Judas goes up to Jesus and he kisses him on the cheek. And so then the Roman guards come to arrest him. Well, our, our old boy Peter, right? He says, that ain't going to happen. So he has a sword, grabs the sword and cuts off the ear of a guy named Malchus. And, you know, this is a little Bible humor, but I think so many people say this. Do you really think he was aiming for the ear I don't think he was aiming for the ear. If I read into that, I think he missed, is what I think. And he got the ear. So the, the Gospel of Luke tells us, uh, he, after Jesus calmed everybody down, he touched the man's ear and he healed him. So think about this. The scripture actually says that he cut the ear off, ears on the ground. All this blood, all this commotion, all these people wanting to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, no more. He picks up the ear He touched, well, I don't know if he picked up the ear. He touched the man's ear and he healed him. Miracle. Miracle. Now, check this out. Because right after that, if we look over into Matthew, same story, just different person who wrote it, we see where he's going to withhold a miracle. He says this, he says, Are you not aware that I can call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Here's some Bible math. Um, a legion of angels, I don't know how they figured this out, but a legion of angels was 6,000. So one legion of angels equals 6,000. Don't you think I can put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He's saying he will at once put at my disposal 72,000 angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So to put this in context, Jesus or Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek Peter gets all excited, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to stop this. I could command 72,000 angels, and it would be a much different story, but that isn't the story that God was writing at that time. Jesus does a miracle. He heals the guy's ear, but he withholds the miracle because he knew it would interfere with God's plan. Third, Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. This is, I think, one of if we look at the whole context of Scripture, there's a few stories that stand out to me, but this is one of the saddest accounts 
in Scripture that I know of. Um, when, Jesus finished, we are, uh, when Jesus finished these parables, we're in Matthew 13. When Jesus had finished these parables, he withdrew from that place. Coming to his hometown, he taught the people in their synagogue, and they were astonished. Where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us as well? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own household is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. It's so sad. You would think that if anybody would be accepting, it'd be the people like in the hometown. But they said, no, this, I grew up with this kid, right? He was the kid running around. I, 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 I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus said, he's not going to do many miracles there because of their unbelief. See, we have to understand that our faith matters to God and our faith moves the heart of God. When we pray in faith, it touches the heart of God. And I want to show you, so I showed you three examples where Jesus didn't do a miracle for various reasons, but this to me is a little bit more exciting. I want to show you three examples in the scripture of where there was a miracle and where it was attributed to faith. And so I'm just going to read these stories. They involve bleeding, they involve leprosy, and they involve blindness. And so the first one is Luke chapter 8. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, No, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, here it is, Daughter, your what? Faith has healed you. Go in peace. The second one, leprosy. Luke chapter 17. While Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one of the villages, he was met by ten lepers. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, shouting, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they were on their way, they were cleansed. When one of them saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He fell face down at Jesus' feet in, in thanksgiving to him, and he was a Samaritan. Were not all ten cleansed? Jesus asked. Where then are the other nine? Was no one found except this foreigner to return and give glory to God? Then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And three, a blind man. I I love this story. In Mark chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. This is a side note here, but he didn't stop shouting. He was rebuked and people told him to be quiet. This is so important, I believe, in in our prayer and our quest for healing to never stop shouting. So important. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. 
Immediately, he received sight and followed Jesus along the road. You guys, that's only three stories. I just, I, I picked three stories. There are so many more in the New Testament where it's, it specifically says, your faith has healed you. Simply put, I can't put it any simpler than this, our faith moves the heart of God. I think it's interesting that um, I was just, as I was reading these stories, have you ever noticed there's one thing in the Bible that Jesus is amazed at? There's one thing in the Bible. Remember City Slickers? One thing? It's a different, different one thing. There's one thing that Jesus is amazed at. What do you think that is? Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, was amazed at something. Luke chapter 7. After he'd finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was slightly valued by him. Highly, not slightly. That's funny. <laughs> when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. He, he loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogues. Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to them, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. For I say to one, go, and he does, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Another translation says, amazed. And turning to the crowd that followed him and says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So again, Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, marvels at a human's faith. So I know that's a lot of Bible there. Um, So you might be here this morning wondering and maybe listening to that and just saying, that's great. But I've I've had a period of my uh, my life where my faith was strong and... um, I just, I don't have that anymore. Um, my faith isn't as strong. And what do I do with that? that? That's a great question. What do we do with that? Because, you know, faith is, is a tricky subject, isn't it? There have been books and books written on faith. And I think another question we can ask is, how do you quantify faith? What does a lot of faith or what does strong faith look like? Uh, Lucky for us, Jesus answered that question. He did quantify faith. He did show us what that looks like. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he said to them, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, how many people have ever seen a grain of mustard seed? You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What will be impossible for you? Nothing. That's the amount of faith we need. That is the amount of faith we need. We need faith the size of a mustard seed. And the thing that I've noticed in these days is that I've noticed words and, and context like a lot of faith or not a lot of faith. And you guys, that, I just have to be honest, that drives me nuts. It really, really does. Because you know what that is? That is comparison. And if there is one thing I don't like in this world, it is comparison. Because comparison, you will never win at. Really? Yes, really. Because you're either going to be, be um, feeling like garbage because you're not good enough, 
comparing yourself to somebody else, or you're going to feel prideful that you're better than somebody else. You will never win with comparison. And that's what a statement like, well, I mean, not necessarily, but that's kind of how I see like, well, I have a lot of faith compared to that, or I don't have any faith compared to that. Jesus is saying, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can talk to that mountain and say, move it, and it will move. But see, to me, that, that still brings up this, this thing, kind of this thing that I've had to wrestle with from time to time. I want to show you a story that you might relate to because this is super applicable for this morning. It's a story of a dad. It's from the New Testament, and it's a story of a father who's really struggling with his faith because his son is in pain. Mark chapter 9. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teacher of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, talking to Jesus, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Look at this word from Jesus. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Watch this. Watch what the guy says. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You guys, it doesn't get any more real than that. I love how honest it is because I think I've, I've found myself in that situation. Yes, I believe. I totally believe. Help me with my unbelief, would you? It's like saying, hey, I, I, I know you can heal. I've seen you heal, but I, I don't want to get my hopes up. So please heal, but help me with my unbelief. I love that that story made the account of Scripture thousands of years later because that is so honest and so relatable. So Jesus looks on him with what had to be understanding of this guy's imperfect faith, I think. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. All that from a guy who was honest enough to say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus did. So this morning then, how do we bring all these stories together? How do we how do we apply this to our faith? What should our posture be? What should our, our disposition of our faith be? Well, I think we can apply it a few different ways, but I want to suggest that this would be our goal, that my faith is not based on what God does, but who God is. I'm going to say it again. My faith, speaking for me, hopefully something that you would encourage adopting, my faith is not based on what God does, but who God is. 
My faith is not based on an immediate moment, a specific request, but who I know God is. Because I know, you guys, sometimes I have seen this, we have all seen this, sometimes he will do exactly what we're asking him to do, and it's great, and it's awesome. And other times, for reasons that we don't understand, God doesn't do what we asked him to do. And we're left then to remind ourselves about the truth of God's character. That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And even though it might hurt now, even though there may be grieving, and even though it makes us question the goodness of God, we trust the goodness of God. Because this is what I want to propose this morning, that our faith is not limited to what God does in a moment, but what he did for us on the cross. That's, that's the reason, even as I was writing this message, it was just like, duh. Like, this is the reason we gather every single Sunday. I know as we go through routine and every single Sunday, it becomes routine. And my prayer for me is that God let this gathering not be a routine. Let our four songs, our five songs, let that never be routine because it is so not common what we're doing this morning. Sometimes it'll feel common, but you guys, if you think about what we're doing, we are engaging the Father heart of God in worship and we get to lean into these messages and this encouragement from the Word. See, that's what we get to celebrate every single day. We celebrate what He did for us thousands of years ago when God said, you know what? I'm apart from my creation and I need to make a way that they be reconciled to me. And so he says, okay, son, you're going to earth and you're going to pay the ultimate price just so that people thousands of years later sitting in Helena, Montana would have a way to be reconciled to me. Our faith isn't based on then seeing the results of a miracle. Our faith is based on the character and unchanging goodness of God. That's why um, I'm so encouraged that when I pray, I, I pray, obviously, with every bit of faith that I have, but knowing that all I need, according to Jesus, all I need is a mustard seed of faith. That's all I need. That's the prescription for faith that he has set out for us. And I'm going to bring my imperfect faith, and I'm going to bring all my garbage, and as long as I can muster up, <laughs> pun, I didn't intend to do that, <laughs> as long as I can generate a mustard seed of faith, That's what God is asking for because I believe that God can and I believe he will. And we have all seen and heard stories, hopefully you have, of where he has. But even if he doesn't, God is still good. So today, um, I want to close our service by giving you the chance to join me uh, in believing that God would do miracles because I am fully persuaded that he can. We're not going to do anything crazy. We're not turning on the fog machine. Um, we're, we're just going to ask God to heal. That's all we're going to do. So this is how I would like to do it this morning. Um, if you have a, a sickness in your body, in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Or perhaps it's, it's not you, but maybe it's somebody you love. Um, maybe, you know what, we're even going to broaden our prayers this morning because uh, we've talked a lot about physical healing this morning, but... God also heals emotional healing. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is that God heals the brokenhearted. I love that scripture. God heals the brokenhearted. We know people in our lives that are very, very, very brokenhearted. And God says, yeah, it's not just the blind and the deaf that I care about. 
It's the brokenhearted. It's that emotional healing. And so this morning, I want us to pray for physical healing. And I want us to pray for emotional healing. Because the the Bible says that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I didn't call it out, but in a few of those times when people were healed, they came back and they gave testimony. So this morning, I would ask you, number one, if you are one that that would like physical healing, or if you know somebody that would like physical healing, that you would stand with us. Number two, if you are someone that would like emotional healing, if there's an issue that only God can touch in your soul, that you would stand. Um, Let's do that now. If you are one that would like physical healing or emotional healing, please stand. The rest of you aren't off the hook because it would be so great. And I know I'm asking a lot. And if, if you're a guest with us this morning, this is, this is family time. This is time that we get to be the family of God. And um, hopefully this isn't uncomfortable for you, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, the rest of us, as you look around, um, the people that are standing, would you just reach out your hand and pray for them? Um, if you have relationship with them, feel free to go up and, and lay your hands or put your arm around them. As, like I said, if you have relationship with them, feel free to do that. But you guys, we're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray for healing this morning. And I hope so much that God would answer your prayer because what we want to do is we want to we give glory to God with those. And we want to hear testimony of that healing. We want to we have others encouraged by that healing. So you guys that are sitting, if, like I said, if you would reach out your hand, uh, if you would go to somebody that you know and pray for them, uh, feel free to, to do that now and then I'll, I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, that is how we start this prayer, Father. You are so good, Father. We are reminding ourselves of the goodness of God today, Father. You are so good, Lord. And regardless of what you do, God, we are, we are here to say that we love you because of who you are, God. And the, the path that you have made for us all to be reconciled to your son, God, we thank you for that, God. And, and now, Jesus, I just ask in Jesus' name, Father, that you would heal these people, Father. The, the, the requests, Lord, that they have in their brains, Father, for physical healing, in Jesus' name, God, that you would heal, Father, physical healings that need to happen, God, in bodies, Lord, that are not performing in an optimal way, God. I pray right now that you would supernaturally touch, supernaturally heal, Father, supernaturally restore bodies in the name of Jesus, God. I just pray for even... Um, for quick healings, God, that as people go to bed tonight, Father, they would notice a difference, Father, that their bodies would be behaving in a different way than they were behaving this morning, God, because they had the, the faith, God, the size of a mustard seed. If you agree with this, just, just start up. Just be praying as you're there, uh, praying for people. Uh, agree with me, because I'm not the only one who's praying this morning. I, I want us all to uh, encourage one another. I want us all to pray, God. Father, we pray for physical healing, God, and God, for our emotions, Lord. God, you know us so well, Lord. There are, there are things going on in life and in our souls and in our spirits, God, that only you know about, Father. And I pray that in Jesus' name, God, um, God, I just, 
that, that scripture is just coming to mind, God, that what the enemy has meant for evil, you will use for good. I think there's some situations in this room, God, that the enemy meant for evil, Father, and we bring that to nothing now in Jesus' name. God, we pray for this, these emotional situations that say, be restored in Jesus' name. That plan, that path will not come to fruition, God. We just strike that down in the name of Jesus, Father. We pray for emotional healing, Lord. And I, God, I just, I just pray, Father, that um, you, would, you would bring that emotional healing and God, just this other picture that I've got is I, I think there's some people in this room that have not smiled in a very long time because they're, they're missing joy, Father, because of this, whatever this issue is. And I just pray in Jesus' name, you would restore the joy that you have for them, God. Your word says that you have come to bring life and bring it to the full. I pray for fullness of life for these people, Father. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God who heals, Lord, You are a God who heals. You are a God who heals. You are a God who heals. And I pray, Father, that in Jesus' name, you would find us faithful asking for that, God, because we do have faith for that this morning. Thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in Mount Helena Community Church, Lord. Just pray for testimonies in the days ahead, God. Pray for stories of your goodness in the days ahead, Lord, because we we have faith for that, God. And Lord, I just pray a blessing on these people, Father. I pray a blessing on us as we go today, Lord, that we would be salt and light to our community, that we would have a reason for our hope for our community, God, because we live in a community that needs it, Father. Find us faithful with the reason for our hope, Jesus. Amen.